I don't believe in God. Have you ever heard anybody say that? Maybe that's your position right now. Maybe that's what you would say to somebody like me who's a Christian. Sorry, I don't believe in God. How do people usually respond when you say that? Or how do you respond when somebody you know says that to you? I don't believe in God. Maybe the responses we would often give or hear would be about kind of giving evidence for God and try and persuade somebody straight away to believe. But I wonder if actually it might be more helpful for us to take a step back and ask a question whenever somebody says that. I don't believe in God. Well, which God? Which God do you not believe in? Because there are lots of different versions of what God is like out there. Some people believe that God is a ruler, a kind of heavenly dictator, and that living under him is basically about following rules, about submission. Other people believe that God is basically creator. Others believe that everything is God. The stuff under our feet, the animals, the plants, that we're all kind of part of the divine. There's lots of different versions of what God is like out there. So if somebody says, I don't believe in God, well, which God do they not believe in? Or if you say, I don't believe in God, well, which God is it that you don't believe in? It's a really, really important question. We shouldn't just assume that we agree on what God is like whenever we're talking about him. We should ask that question, which God do you believe in? That's basically the question that we're going to try and answer today. I don't really have one passage um, that we're going to work through, one Bible passage to kind of go verse by verse and, and unpack it. I want to unpack this idea about who God is, the Christian view of God. It's important that we ask that question. I mean, maybe illustrate it like this. If I told you um, that my wife, she's called Bethan, if I told you that she was six foot three and beautiful, long, flowing blonde hair, and that she's got brown eyes, that she loves floral patterned dresses and hates sports. Well, if you don't know her, you just have to take my word for it. Um, if you did know her, that I love this person who's tall and blonde and um, hates sports and loves flowers, if you did know her, you would begin to get worried, right? <laughs> because the person I'm describing there is not my wife. Bethan, my wife, is more five foot three than six foot three. She's not into flowery dresses. She loves sports. She's got dark brown, almost black hair, and kind of greeny blue eyes. The description I gave to you about my wife is completely wrong. If I told you I love that person, you'd start to worry if you really knew who my wife is. See, it's important. If you love somebody, it's important that you say true things about them. And if you want to know somebody, it's important that you know true things about them. You see, this question is really important. The question about who God is, about what he's like, not just what he's done in the world, but who he is in himself. That's the question. Jesus says himself, John chapter 17, verse three, this is eternal life. If you wanna know true spiritual life, eternal life, Jesus says, this is eternal life, that, you may, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Jesus says the way to know eternal life is not through doing something, it's through knowing God, knowing true things about him, knowing him as you know a person. So it's important that we know who he actually is. So who is God? Three things we're going to look at today. It's always three, isn't it? Uh, one, who has God always been? We're going to look at the Trinity before time just really briefly. 
And then two, who is the God revealed in Jesus? We're going to look at the Trinity in the life of Jesus. And then what does the Trinity mean for us today? Who is God and what does that matter for our prayer? What does it matter for our confidence before him? What does it matter for sharing the good news of God with other people? Well, who God is, is central to all of that. Can I recommend the book to you? Um, this is a really good book. It's called The Good God by a man called Mike Reeves. In his conclusion, this is a bit of a spoiler, isn't it? But right on the last page, he says this. What's your Christian life like? What's the shape of your gospel, of your faith? In the end, it will all depend on what you think God is like. Who God is drives everything. So what is the human problem? Is it just that we've strayed from a moral code? Or is it something worse, that we've strayed from him? What is salvation? Is it merely that we're brought back as law-abiding citizens? Or is it something better, that we're brought back as beloved children? What is the Christian life all about? Is it just about behaviour? Or is it deeper? Is it about enjoying God? So we're going to talk about the Trinity today, the Trinity before creation, the Trinity in the life of Jesus and the Trinity in our lives now. Maybe your reaction to that is like a oh, groan, oh, I tried to think about the Trinity before, didn't go very well, and so you're not looking forward to the rest of this. Or maybe you're thinking, what? That sounds like some strange, weird teaching that, that should just be left in the past, something made up by a monk who needed to get out more. Maybe that's your view. It just sounds a bit irrelevant to you. Maybe you're thinking, oh, you know, good luck uh, in the next 15 minutes or so. Um, good luck with trying to explain the Trinity. Or maybe you think it's a spooky mystery, something impossible to do. Maybe something in between. Maybe you've never even heard that word. But this is the Christian teaching that the church has always clung to about who our God really is. That he's a father who's always poured his life out to his son, who loves his son by the power of the Holy Spirit. That we believe in one God, three persons, Trinity in unity. But where do we see that? Okay, we see that before the foundation of the world. John 17 again, where Jesus says that true everlasting life is in knowing God. Jesus says another thing a bit later on, John 17, 24. He's praying to the Father about us. And he says, Father, I want those you've given me to know, to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you've given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Have you ever wondered what God was doing before creation? Well, that's the verse for you. John chapter 17, verse 24. What was happening before the creation of the world? The Father was loving the Son through in the power of the Holy Spirit. Can I show you another place that we see that? We have to go to Jesus's life. I told you that first point was pretty quick. What happens before the foundation of the world? Well, the Father loves the Son by the Spirit. And you see that in Jesus's life. Point number two, at Jesus' baptism. Do you remember that story? Maybe not. Well, Jesus comes along to a man called John, who's kind of been preparing the way, getting people ready to meet Jesus. And Jesus says, John, I want you to baptize me. Dip me in the water of this Jordan River. What he's doing is reenacting the whole of Israel's history, kind of reenacting world history, going into water and being born out of it. But look what happens when Jesus um, comes out of the water. This is Matthew chapter 3, verse 16. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove 
and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. So do you see? That's a picture of what God has always been like. Like he says in John 17, always the Father loving the Son in the power of the Spirit. Three persons, united, one God, Trinity in unity. And that's what it is in the life of Jesus. This is who God is. The Son, the Lord Jesus, the Son of God, showing us his Father who loves him and has always loved him. This is my Son whom I love in the power of the Spirit. That might remind you all the way back in Genesis 1 is another glimpse that we get of what's happening before the foundation of the world. Genesis chapter 1, there's God and God speaks. He speaks his word. That is another name for Jesus. You find out in John chapter 1, God speaks his word, who we later find out is the Lord Jesus, in the power of the Spirit. The Spirit's hovering over the surface of the deep. And what happens? When God speaks in the power of his spirit, life comes out of of death and nothingness. Order comes out from chaos. Light comes out of darkness. You see, that's what's going on right here in this baptism of Jesus. Jesus is about to emerge onto the world stage again. What is he going to do? He's going to bring life where there's death. He's going to bring chaos where there is order. Sorry, other way around. He's going to bring order where there was chaos. He's going to bring light into the darkness. Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. See, this is what God has always been doing. The Father loving the Son in the power of the Holy Spirit. He's a giving God, a God who's always pouring out and overflowing and and a God who is love. Do you see that? Not just a God who learns to do loving things once the creation comes along and he's got an object to love but a God who, even before this world was created, a God who is love in his own being, Father, Son, and Spirit, Trinity in unity. Now, there's a couple of mistakes that we might make, just to pause for a moment. A couple of mistakes we might make in thinking about who God is in Trinity. The first mistake is this, that we think it's three gods who happen to really, really like each other. That's not right. This not what you see in Scripture. And the Jews, the ancient Israelites, confessed that there was one God. And that's what Jesus says, there's one God. But but then we see passages like this. We see Genesis chapter 1. We see, if you open your eyes through the whole of Scripture, that God is one, united, but in three persons. Three persons in one God. Not three gods who happen to really like each other but plurality in one God. See if you can get your mind around around that. Okay, the other error that we might go to, if if it's not splitting God into three, is to say, oh, no, God is one, but he kind of has three faces, or maybe three phases. You know, the Old Testament God, that's the Father. The New Testament God, that's Jesus. And the church age, kind of nowadays God, is the Spirit, as if God has come in three different phases or three different faces or there's three different parts to him, like a, like an egg, you know, shell, white, yolk, or a clover, three bits, one God. And that's not right either. That's not what you see at Jesus' baptism. There isn't three parts to one God. No, Jesus says, I and the Father are one. When you know the Spirit, when I give him to you, you'll have me with you. Can I read you some of those verses? This is a bit of a scattering back and forth today. But John chapter 14, 
Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If, there, if that were not so, would I not have told you I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am and you may know the place where I am going. Thomas said to Jesus, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip says, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. But Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone who's seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I don't speak on my own authority. Rather, it's the Father living in me who is doing his work. A little further down in verse 15, Jesus says, If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you an advocate to help you and be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. So the Father, through Jesus, is going to give us the Spirit and what does he say? Well, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he lives within you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. It's mysterious, isn't it? But could you hear it in that conversation? Jesus saying he's one with the Father, that he and the Father will be with us by his Spirit, that he'll send the Spirit, but in sending the Spirit, he'll be with us. Something that's difficult to get your mind around. But can you see that? God is Father, Son, and Spirit. Three persons, but one God. Trinity in unity. Maybe that's not something that's easy to get our heads around, but did we ever expect to get our head around God? That the transcendent God who fills the world and beyond it could be someone who we could wrap our little minds around? You see, this is something that goes beyond us, but not so far beyond us that we can't understand God. You see, God shows himself to us in the Lord Jesus, shows himself to us so we can know him truly even if we can't know him fully. We know him truly, even if we can't wrap our heads around him. We can know him well enough to know that he wraps his arms around us. This is where you see Trinity, who God is before the foundation of the world, a father who loves his son by the power of the spirit. And you see it in Jesus, who is God? The father who loves his son and gives him to us and then gives us the Holy Spirit so that we can be part of the love of God. We worship a God, the God who is love, and you're invited, you're invited into that love. Isn't that good news? So this is on to our third point. What is the point? What use is, what's the good news about who God is for us today? What does the Trinity mean? for me and you this morning, well, lots and lots of things. First of all, it means that love is at the center of the universe. 
You see, imagine this, just for a minute. If God wasn't like this, if God wasn't Trinity and Unity, then perhaps he's God who's alone, like, um, like the Muslim God, Allah, on his own, alone from eternity. If he was really like that, then would he really know what love is? Would he really know what fellowship is? Because you couldn't say that God is love, because love needs an object. You need someone to love. So if you are alone from eternity, then you don't know how to love. When, when whatever that God would be created the world, he kind of learned something new, learned how to relate, learned how to have fellowship. And, and so could you ever trust that that God was love in his own being? Could you ever trust that he would continue loving you? Could you ever trust that, that he even knew how to love, that he had some fellowship to share with you? Now you see, because God is Father, Son and Spirit, Trinity and Unity, a Father pouring out his life, his love to his Son, who gives it back to his Father in the glory and the power of the Spirit, because that's who God is, you can know that love is the centre of the universe, that you are invited into it, that this is really who God is, that he is love. So that question I asked at the beginning, who is God? Which God is it that you don't believe in? There are plenty of people. Um, some of the atheists that are around today who think of God as, as that kind of heavenly dictator. Well, I think if that's what God was really like, if, it, if life was just about submitting to him, about being only obedient to this ruler who gives us rules to follow, I don't think I would want to believe in that God either. But that's not what God is like. No, God is Father, pouring out, giving himself, his life to his son from eternity past by the power of this spirit. And so creation, you and I are an overflow of that love. God didn't become something new. He didn't learn a new skill of loving when he created us. No, we are an overflow of his love. Love is at the center of the universe. Well, what does that mean? It means that he doesn't need you, which sounds a bit harsh to begin with, doesn't it? God doesn't need you, but that's actually really good news because why are you here if God doesn't need you? Well, you're here because he wants you. You're here out of an overflow of his love. You're here because he wants to share and to give, that he is a giving God. And we know that from John 3.16, right? The famous Bible verse. For God so loved the world, that's who he is, that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him doesn't have to perish, but have eternal life. And what's eternal life? To know him. And wouldn't you want to know him? Don't you want to know a God like this? If he's just a heavenly dictator, I don't want to know a God like that. Maybe I'll just try and be obedient so he'll leave me alone for a bit. Let me get on with life. But if God is really a father who opens his arms and says, I love my son and I want you to come in and know that love too. I want to give him to you and give you my spirit. That's a God that I could get on board with. That's a God that we want to know, isn't it? God, that you want to say, oh, he's embraced me. I want to embrace him back. I don't just want to do whatever it takes to make him leave me alone. I don't want him to leave me alone. I want him in every little part of my life. I want him to be the center of gravity of everything. I want to come and bring all of my little struggles and difficulties and questions and decisions. I want, them to, I want him to be a part of them. I want him to pour his life into me so that I can pour that kind of life out to others. So, okay, 
what does it mean today that God is Trinity? It means that love is the center of the universe. It means that he doesn't need you, but he wants you. It means that prayer is just something different to what we usually expect it to be. Often prayer is kind of something we have to do at the end of the day, you know, get on your knees or you better pray, or something where you just bring a list to God. It feels a bit dry. It's something we really struggle with. But if God is really like this, then prayer, prayer is being ushered into the throne room of your dad by your big brother, the Lord Jesus, who gives you his spirit. Galatians 4, chapter 4, verse 6, who gives you his spirit, who poured into your heart, helps you to cry out what Jesus cries out, Abba, Father. Abba is that um, kind of Hebrew word for daddy, what kids would call their father. You see, prayer is not about crawling on your knees before some God to beg him for something good, for crumbs from his table. But prayer for a Christian is coming into the presence of your father, ushered in, brought in by the Lord Jesus, your brother, to know his relationship that he has with the Father. And what relationship is that? This is my son whom I love. That's what the Father says of you as you come in, in Jesus, in the power of the Holy Spirit. Prayer is something beautiful. Prayer is being part of, part of the fellowship of Father, Son and Holy Spirit. How good is that? Well, what about, what about telling other people about Jesus? How does Trinity change that? Well, telling other people about God instead of being kind of a, an invitation to get other people to come and obey him and you know do some religious rules to submit to God, to kind of get out of hell in the end, that's not particularly good news, is it? It's not really the kind of message you feel confident about sharing with other people because you're not sure it's good news just to come and follow some rules. Well, no, it's not what God is like. Fundamentally, he's not a rule giver. Fundamentally, he's a father. So what is sharing him? What is inviting him? What is evangelism all about? It's about giving good news. Good news that God is father who invites people to come and know his love, who gives his own son to you and who pours out his own spirit to be with you, to not leave you alone, but to welcome you in to the family of God, his people, his body, the ones who belong to him, who know the love of the Father through the Son, in the presence forever of the Holy Spirit, who'll never abandon us. That's good news, isn't it? To come and enjoy the embrace of God. That's what makes you want to obey him. That's what makes you want to follow him. That's what makes you want to get on your knees and pray to him. That's what makes you want to go out and share him. Because he is really good. He really is a God who's worth sharing about. Last thing, well, how does this affect my confidence? in prayer, in evangelism, but my confidence before him as well. Will he ever let me go? What if I mess up? What if I do something wrong? Well, if you're joined to Jesus, if you're one of his sons, if you're sharing Jesus's life that he gives to us, when he takes our sins away at the cross, rises again on the third day and gives us his spiritual life, do you think the father is ever going to turn his son away? Do you think the father is ever going to cool down in his love for his son? No, he's not. He loves his son and is never going to stop loving his son. He's pouring his spirit out to him. Has always been doing that from before the foundation of the world, all the way through Jesus' life and ministry, and isn't going to stop now. If you're part of Jesus, if you've given your life to him, put yourself in his hands, then you belong to him as his son. 
And he looks at you just as he said of Jesus at that baptism. He looks at you and says, this is my son. You are my daughter whom I love, my beloved one with whom I'm well pleased. That should give us real confidence or assurance that we don't have to cringe and crawl and <laughs> creep and hide away from God. You don't have to worry about whether he still loves you today as he loved you yesterday, whether he'll still love you tomorrow. No, he loves you and will always love you as he loves his own son because you have come to the God of overflowing love. That's what the Trinity is all about. I hope that hasn't been too scary or too strange. I hope it's given you or shown you that, that the Trinity, that who God is, isn't supposed to be a, like a mathematical conundrum. It's the good news that God is love and that you're invited to know him. It is a brain teaser, isn't it? Something that we can't really get our minds around. Augustine said that when it comes to the Trinity, nowhere is erring, nowhere is getting it wrong, more dangerous. Because who God is is really important. When it comes to the Trinity, nowhere is erring, more dangerous. Nowhere is seeking, more tiresome. It can be a tiring and difficult thing to try and get your mind around God. But nowhere is finding him more fruitful. So come and think about the Trinity. Come and get this book and do some reading and some studying. Come and get to know your God. If you're a Christian, this is who he is. Don't write it off as something for the theologians, for the pastors, for the people who like to think about this sort of thing. No, this is something that belongs to you. If you want to know everlasting life, you need to come and know your God. And your God is Trinity. And Trinity in unity. The Father pouring his life out to the Son by the power of the Spirit, three persons, one God. That's good news, that's glorious. And I hope it's helped you and encouraged you and filled your heart with gladness with him today. Amen.